Welcome to the Church in the Graveyard podcast. The book of Romans is truly one of the high peaks of the Bible. It is an intimidating mountain to climb, but the view from the top is well worth it. In the first four chapters, we hear that all have sinned, but the Apostle Paul takes us to the heart of why Jesus is such good news. We discover that his gospel changes everything about how we see the world. It means peace, it promises holiness, it beckons us to freedom, and it calls for love. For more information and audio content, please visit us at neac.com.au. morning again. I suspect that my brother pays a lot less than I do at the mechanic when he gets his car serviced. I suspect this because at the end of his uni degree, which is a mechanical engineering degree, he actually got a job working to design gearboxes for a supplier to Ford. He spent weeks at the Ford Proving Ground in Melbourne, um, tinkering with engines and tweaking designs, and he became intimately aware of what goes on in a car engine. Towards the end of my uni degree, I worked at the local council. I got good at writing letters and attending birthday morning teas. So a mechanic, when I get my car service, could tell me almost anything and I would believe him. But my brother, with his intimate knowledge, would know exactly what is going on and be able to ask the right questions to make sure that he's not getting ripped off. Now, I know roughly how an engine works, but if you were to tell me that the diff is gone or you need new coils, I've tapped out. I'm in all sorts of trouble. The passage that we have before us today is somewhat like a car engine. In some respects, it's an easy thing to understand. You put petrol in, you turn the key, pistons, combustion, motion, off you go. But it is also necessarily complex, full of individual ideas and doctrines that all work together, but individually have their own mechanics and components, inputs and outputs. It kind of leads to an apologetic, because this passage is massive, and complex, and in the time that we've got, we will necessarily have to skim across a couple of doctrines which we would just love to be able to get into. But what we want to do today is seek to establish the main point of this passage, which is the righteousness of God is revealed in the person of Jesus. We are made righteous through him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that as we come to it now that we would uh, have a revelation, that we would understand it more by your spirit and that we would be amazed at your righteousness. Amen. Well, what does it matter that God is fair? What does it matter that God is just? Well, I put it to you that it matters a great deal that God is fair and is just and that the world would just fall apart if that were not the case. See, underlying everything is a sense of fairness and justice. I, th- I think we feel that in our bones, don't we? we? We all really want 
justice and fairness to rule. Whether it's seven tackles in an NRL quarterfinal, or whether it's sarin gas on civilians in Syria, we feel it in our bones that justice and fairness are good things to go after. We expect it in our society and we expect to be dealt that way in our relationships and we are righteously riled when we see injustices in either. And that is no coincidence because we are made in the image of God. Justice and fairness have a resonance with our innermost being because we are creatures created by a just and fair God. And it matters a great deal that God, who made us, is just and fair because that is entirely consistent with his character. He would not be God if he was neither just nor fair. And so, as we've seen in previous weeks, it is entirely consistent, because God is just and fair, that he punishes sin. The wrath of God is squarely aimed at sinful humans. The little sins, the big stuff, they are all sinful stains on our history and they all attract the wrath of God. But what does it matter that God is forgiving? Who of us doesn't take comfort from the fact that God is also a forgiving God, slow to anger, abounding in love? He's a forgiving God who forgives wickedness. We can see he's been doing it all through the Old Testament. That matters to us as well, doesn't it? Knowing that God forgives us gives us great hope. And so, how do we reconcile fairness and justice, or getting what we deserve, with God being a forgiving God, letting us off, getting what we don't deserve? If God forgives, how is that just? How is that fair? Because letting someone off the hook and giving them what they don't deserve is unjust. Imagine if our justice system just forgave people. Speeding, forgiven. Drink driving, no worries. Murder, forgiven. Mass shooting, See, forgiving the accused and letting them catch the bus home outside the court, it makes us righteously angry. So how is it fair that God forgives? Where is the justice in that? How can he do both? We're going to see that it's an amazing thing. The amazing thing is the righteousness of God. And we sit here and just shake our heads and think, who would have thought of that? How amazing is God? Well, Paul has spent the last three chapters setting out the argument that there is no one righteous, not even one, no one who understands, no one who seeks God, all have turned away, they have together become worthless. Paul has systematically gone through everyone, starting at Romans 1.18, the godless and wicked, well, everyone knows they are stuffed anyway, they get the wrath of God. And he moves on. The people who are good and upright and who look down on the people who are godless and wicked. They get the wrath of God because they had faith in themselves. And he moves on again. The Jews, the top of the tree, the people of God, they get the wrath of God too because they had faith in their heritage and the words 
In short, Paul says, Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. We are all accused and we are all accountable. Everyone will attract the wrath of God. He is very angry with us. And he's very angry because we are sinful, disobedient, godless, wicked. And that is fair and that is just. There is no one righteous, not even one. No one who understands, no one who seeks God, all have turned away. And what can be done about such a dire predicament? Nothing. We can do nothing. As unrighteous humans, God's righteousness is a real problem for us. But turn with me to Romans 3, verse 21. But now... A righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. But now we have finally turned the corner in Romans. We have turned the corner from horror to hope, to the revelation of the amazing truth that there is hope in our hopeless situation of the previous passage. A righteousness from God has been revealed, a way to relate. And for the first time since chapter 1, Paul emphatically declares the good news. In fact, this verse here, verse 21, is a mirror of Paul's opening statement in 117. Chapter 1, verse 17 says, For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. And then verse 21, but now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known. Together, these verses reveal righteousness from God. And they bookend this hopeless situation in between, the depravity of man. If we are reeling from the passages of the last couple of weeks, as we should be, it is surrounded by good, good news. Now, it would seem that as we look at the righteousness from God in verse 21, a lot of people spend a lot of time talking about whether the from is actually an of and also the actual nature of righteousness. Now, these people are very smart and it's difficult for a small brain like mine to fully comprehend. But righteousness of God, righteousness here, I believe, is the description of God as he acts in accordance with his promises and character. Very simply, it could be described as the rightness of God to do what he does. Because in this passage, Paul is specifically seeking to explain how God remains righteous and true to his promises and character, or fair, and is still still able to make us righteous as well, to forgive. Because we can be righteous as well. And from a human point of view, being made righteous, again, very simply, is being made right with God. It is a legal status, if you like, that God bestows on people who have faith in him. It is having those attributes of God in us 
that make a relationship between God and us actually work. Now, there's a whole lot of nuances, but Romans 1.17, I think, summarises righteousness well. It is in the gospel where we find it, and it is by faith that we are justified or made righteous. How can God punish sin and at one and the same time forgive the sinner? It is in the gospel of Jesus. How can one be made right with God? It is by faith in Jesus. Now, the rest of the passage goes on in quite a bit of detail as to how all of this works. But before we move on, before we get ahead of ourselves, because this righteousness is nothing new, we need to go and have a look back. Verse 21, it says, A righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. The law and the prophets testify to it. It was always going to happen this way. It is just that no one really understood exactly how it would all play out. But you can look back and you can see the shadows of it right through the Old Testament, through the law, through what the prophets said, that God would do something a bit more permanent about sin. See, the law back in the Old Testament was the way in which God's people could relate to God. Sacrifices were instigated to show the gravity of the ongoing problem of sin. And this is the roadblock roadblock between you and God. And it attracts the wrath of God. But the law didn't get you to God. It got you relating to God. And that is where the people of God back in the Old Testament eventually started getting the law wrong. They couldn't see past the letter of the law to the God behind it, to the relationship that established it. They focused so much on the engine that they forgot that they were driving a car. And, to push the analogy a bit further, the relationship crashed and burned. But imagine, back in the Old Testament, the faithful Jew living a life in obedience to God and living his statutes, which he loves, offering sacrifices but acutely aware of the problem of ongoing atonement for sin. The prophets, they talked about a result in the future, but what that looked like and how that worked, he did not know. He knows that the sacrifices and obedience to the rules does not make him right, and yet he takes comfort in the promises of God. And that faith is credited to him as righteousness. See, the faithful Jew back in the Old Testament believed in principle in Jesus, who would fulfil the promises of God. Deuteronomy 6 is a great description of how this works. It says, Love the Lord your God and live and breathe and obey his commandments so that it may go well with you. Faith in God expressed in obedience to his laws and commands. And at the end of that chapter in Deuteronomy 6, it says that will be our righteousness. It was implicit in the law. It was implicit in the words of the prophets. But now... God's righteousness has been revealed, who it actually is and how it actually works. And this is amazing. It should make us sit up and get a good look at it, but it should also come as no surprise. It has been foreshadowed and hinted at for centuries, and now here it is. It is not new, but it is now on display. And how amazing is the righteousness of God? So who is looking at it. 
Well, we know from relationships that we have that you cannot be at peace with someone if anger and wrath and tension is just hovering in the air. When anger is present in a relationship, it is a good thing to try to make amends to right the wrong. You apologise. And people can forgive, but sometimes have trouble forgetting. Sometimes they let the wrong continue to affect the relationship. And it's not easy. In fact, relationships at times can be very hard because of this. Sometimes the gravity of the fact that God is very angry with us, that his wrath is on us, is a bit lost. We tend to focus on God's love and mercy and forgiveness and grace. But the preceding chapters that we've looked at in Romans have emphasised that God is angry at us. Yes, he loves us. But at one and the same time, God is very angry at us because he is righteous and of our own efforts, we are not. Paul has not been backwards about coming forwards about this very fact. Verse 22. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. It comes through faith in Jesus and it happens by the redemption that came by Jesus. It is all about what Jesus has done, forgiving sin and turning aside wrath. See, Jesus' death does not just neutralise sin like a good quality antacid on an upset stomach. It takes away wrath. It takes away the problem, the wrath of God that is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. It turns aside that wrath, deals with it, and then holds out the hand of redemption. Now, if all are under sin, as it says back in chapter 3, verse 9, then this is for all who believe. Total inclusiveness here, and it cuts right through the Jew-Gentile divide and the schism that was apparent in the church at the time. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, fall short is a bit of a weak way of saying it, but it means that we completely lack the glory of God. We were meant to shine with the glory of God. That is what we were created for. But we forfeited that privilege when we sinned. And it's not like we've had a crack and we haven't quite got there. We didn't even get off the line. We couldn't even get off the line. We lack the glory of God because we are unrighteous, exposed to the wrath of God. And yet, we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We are justified. Another wonderful legal term, the idea of being righteous or being made righteous, made like there was never any wrong there, declared rightly by God to be right with him, freely by his grace. This is an absolute and immediate change in our status before God when we have faith in Jesus. But it came at a cost. Our redemption 
from slavery to sin came by Christ Jesus. We are redeemed, not rewarded. It cost me nothing, but it cost Jesus everything. Paul continues to go on with the mechanics a little bit further, halfway through verse 24. We are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Now a sacrifice of atonement here is an indicator. It harks back to the Old Testament where you had the Day of Atonement where the high priest entered the holy place inside the temple and he sprinkled blood as atonement for the sins of the people of God. Now, if you read the description of this in Leviticus 16, it is intense. It is methodical, it is annual, and it involves death and blood. Jesus replaces that once. He becomes in himself the location of, a location for atonement and the sacrifice of atonement. Where it used to be at the temple or tabernacle each year, it is now once at the cross. Where it used to be the blood of bulls and goats, it is now the blood of Jesus. See, God does the costly thing himself by offering Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement, punishing his own son for the sins of the world because there was no other way for God to be forgiving and still just. God presents Jesus, the Son of God. The wrath of God was taken head on by him at the cross. Sin is atoned for. God's wrath is turned aside. Justice is done because sin is punished. See, the cross proves that God is able to forgive and declare righteous those who believe that all this is true. And this is now plain for all to see. We are justified, made right, made righteous by faith in Jesus' blood. What an amazing thing that is. Who would have thought back in the Old Testament that this is how he would do it? Who would have guessed? But this is how he did it. At great cost and, as we move on in the passage, after great patience. Halfway through verse 25, he did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Paul moves on to examine the issue of history. What about those before Jesus? I mean, it's cool for everyone from here on in, but what about the Old Testament mates? What about the faithful Israelites? Well, later Paul will go on to talk about Abraham in great detail as one who had faith in God's promises and it was credited to him as righteousness. But the point to note is that the sacrifice of the perfect Lord Jesus was sufficient to cover the sins of history. And that works because the faith that Paul is talking about here in Romans is the same faith that is talked about back in the Old Testament that is credited as righteousness. It is not new. It is just now made known. The patience and forbearance of God is so evident in the Old Testament as you read books like Exodus and Judges. 
we went through Judges with the youth group kids earlier this year. And as we go through the term, you just pull your hair out at the patience of God and the, how the Israelites just kept on stuffing it up. See, where I would have given up on the Israelites long ago, God was faithful to his promises, even when they were not. And during that time, God soaked up the sins of history, all these sins that the sacrifices reminded us of but didn't work for, all the godlessness and wickedness of mankind. He soaked up the sins of history and he wrung it out at the cross where the sacrifice of the perfect Lord Jesus was sufficient to cover the sins of history. See, the cross proves that God has always been able to forgive and declare righteous those who believe that this is true. And this is now plain for all to see. He did this to demonstrate his justice, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. See, the last line there sums up this passage nicely. God is just and God is the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. A God who is righteous, fair and just, and yet one and the same time forgiving of those who have faith in the Lord Jesus. The righteousness of God is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ and we are made righteous through him. Who would have thought that this is how God would do it? Who would have thought that we have a God so eternally perfect that he can justify sinners who have faith rather than subject them to his wrath? Who would have thought that God was so loving of his creation that he would give his son so that all who believe would be saved? Who would have thought, how amazing is our God?